Okay, our topic today is theophanies and Christophanies. We'll start with giving a couple of de definitions. A theophany is a visible appearance and manifestation of God. And a Christophany is a visible appearance or manifestation of God that are clearly identified as Jesus Christ. And it's the Christophanies primarily, when it's because we are in a study of uh, Christology, the study of Christ in our, our walk through systematic theology. So <clears throat> let's look at some of these theologies. And I just basically just made a laundry list of them and just kind of walk through these and just so you, th these, these are just a sampling of what's in scripture. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. So we can start in Genesis chapter three. Verse 8 through 21, the Lord walking in the garden. And we know that we know the uh, this is incorporated in, in the account of the fall of man. And um, <clears throat> so in verse 8, it says they and that's Adam and Eve heard a sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to, to the man and said, where are you? Little uh, point of uh, interest there. He called because he didn't know where they were? No. <laughs> remember, our, remember our study on the attributes, omniscience? He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly why they were there. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, to make a long story there, we'll go through that, uh, this whole thing. And he, and he gave the curse. And you can read the story. And um, to show that, that, in case there's any doubt as to the physicality of the Lord, of the Lord walking in the garden, uh, look at verse down, go all the way to verse 20. It says, now the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of the all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So... Right then and there, because remember, they um, <clears throat> prior to the fall in the garden, they weren't into clothing. All right. They didn't have it. Um, it's like I always used to say in, in going through the uh, temptation of Eve, you know, that the, Satan in the form of a serpent just faked her out of her socks. But she wasn't wearing socks. So <laughs> but faked her out anyway. So and so the Lord God made garments of skin. And there's a lot we could talk about just in that verse that's, that's going on there. The fact that he made it, and an animal was skinned, and um, he clothed them. So I think they learned a trade right there, too, right? Learned how to make clothing out of animal skins, if nothing else. And I'm, the, the most important point here is the fact that I'm quite convinced they were taught about sacrifices. I think that's pretty obvious when you go through the, we maybe do that one day. We, we've looked at it a little bit in the past. Anyway, and then also in chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord appeared to Abram. That was Abraham's name before it was changed. And this is an important section in here. When you, from chapter 12 through really 22, um, <clears throat> 12.7 says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said 
to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So again, in physical, it was a physical appearance. And let's, let's move forward. And uh, that sh- where the Lord appeared to Hagar, that, that should be a G-E-N, not a C-E-N. That's Genesis 16. 7 to 16. Genesis 16. 7 to 16. This is a this is a an extremely important passage here. Um, verse 7, it goes, Now the angel of the Lord. Now this one here, the angel of the Lord. Now we're going to see that uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, 99.9% of the time, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ. I say 0.9 just in case there's one out there that I miss someplace that isn't, but I'm virtually every time I've ever looked at a passage and studied it that the the name or the term angel of the Lord was used it's referring to it's a reference to Christ in some manner now an angel that's an angel but the angel of the Lord it's very specific like the angel of the Lord now 16 7 through 16 so the angel of the Lord found found her that's Hagar by the spring of the water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, and this is an important statement here, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The, see that right there? The angel of the Lord. I mean, you figure this is... Jesus, angel of the Lord, Jesus has the power that I will multiply your descendants. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction and he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all his brothers. So, Evidently, he's one of those kind of guys that doesn't get invited over to the house very much, you know. <laughs> well, well, give you a rain check. You know, he's just one of those guys. As a matter of fact, this passage explains a lot. I want to come back here one of these days soon because this explains a whole lot of what's going on and has been going on for centuries in the Middle East. This is, this is all part of it. Matter of fact, I believe this is the beginnings of it right here right here and you just chase it through history and here we are today and you add in a few other things along the road and it gets extremely interesting in a hurry okay <clears throat> again i've had a note there the angel of the lord and the lord in the garden and the lord who appeared to abram are the same person and namely jesus christ those first three examples i'm confident are let's look at the gospel of john for a moment and then we'll come back And we'll just, we'll just compare these four verses together. We start with John 1.18. John 1.18. As far as God, God the Father, God, Theos, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, 
who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That's Christ has explained him. Okay, keep that thought in mind. Let's move forward to chapter 6. I think there's a couple of handouts down here someplace. Okay, John 6, 46. Well, that's the one that burned out on me. (laughs) 646 says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God has seen the Father. See, the Father, God, is a spirit. Now, this keep that in mind. Move forward to chapter 12, verse 44. Forty-four and forty-five. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who and he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. Hmm. And then we'll finish that off with chapter 14, verse 6 through 9 in John. Now we're the scene here is the at the Last Supper in that, that evening. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. You know, It's Philip this time, not Peter. (laughs) Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? The vision, the, the view of God that the world has seen, and I believe will see, is in fact the, through the second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. You want to, you, to see Jesus Christ, one who visually sees Christ, is looking into the face of God. The bulk of, well, you do have some that are just voices, which I think, well, like we're going to look at one uh, toward the end of our list here, that uh, at the baptism, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. That, that's actually that's a manifestation of God, that voice coming down out of heaven. And then you have, but if you get all three, and then you've got the Holy Spirit too, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, that's a theophany with the person of the Holy Spirit. So theophany is like the general term for it. Um, and then we, get spe- we can get specific with the Christology. Oh, yeah, that's a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ. So... Yeah, and <clears throat> but I do believe the bulk of them are Christ, when especially when somebody's in visible form. But, but yet the Holy Spirit took on that form like a dove, came down just enough. So it's God can do anything He wants, can He? <laughs> That's, you know, being any. I, I always go back to this, but hey, anybody that can speak the universe into existence, <laughs> who am I to limit him? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, you know? <laughs> I mean. Did you cover the um, Shekinah glory? Is, would that be a 
uh, kinda. <laughs> no, no, not I, not today. No, we did back when we went through the new heaven and new earth. The, gl- the the glory of God will be seen. That's the Shekinah glory will be seen throughout the new Jerusalem, throughout the new heaven and new earth. We did way back then. It, that's a manifestation of His glory as much as anything else. But uh, but we will. In that period of time, we'll be walking and talking with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's hard to imagine, but that's what's going to that's what's going to be like. Another one, and then we can move down through. The Lord again appears to uh, in Gen- we're back in Genesis, Genesis 17, and there's a series of of events where the Lord is active. And again, I am I am confident that um, uh, <clears throat> again that's. That's that's a pre-incarnate seventeen one and two. I still need to move. Seventeen one two. Now, when Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "I love this. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly." I mean, when we went through this long time back now about the Abrahamic covenant. Um, I mean, it's the he, Lord started talking about it way back in chapter 12 of Genesis. And every time the Lord appears, he adds more and he keeps talking about it and he keeps, keeps the promise going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he's basically saying the same thing. And then later on, he's going to get in about the land and every place you, your footsteps, you're going to inherit and it, but he just keeps going. The Lord keeps reinforcing this. Uh, <clears throat> then we're not going to go there, but gen, uh, in chapter 18, verses 1 to 33, that whole conversation about, um, <clears throat> you know, in your old age, you're going to bear a son. You're going you're gonna to name him Isaac. And um, that, that one kind of caught him for a loop. And then just that whole whole account is where the Lord physically appeared. Remember in the Oaks of Mamre and walked with them, ate with them. And he one time showed up with two angels. The Lord leaves and the two angels go down and pay a visit to Sodom. And that didn't end well um, for everybody but the angels. But uh, and a next one, let's look at Exodus chapter three. The again, the angel of the Lord. Think about this. The angel of the Lord being mostly, most of the time being Christ, virtually all the time, quite frankly. 3 through 17, the angel Lord appears to Moses. And this is a huge passage. I I definitely want to read all of this one. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to, and to bring them up from the land of, of, to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with the Egyptians are, are oppressing them. Now, therefore... Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. I, I put, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is, <clears throat> that it is I who have been sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And, and he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you to me. And if you remember back, say, What? That's the angel of the Lord appeared, and the angel of the Lord identifies itself as being God. And Jesus, in the New Testament, uh, in, in, again, in the Gospel of John, identifies himself as being the I Am. Remember when um, <clears throat> the uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the rest of the bunch says, you know, well, Jesus said to them, you know, Abraham has seen my day and had loved it. He said, well, you're saying what? You're, only, you haven't, you're not even 50 years old. You, you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus replied to him, before Abraham was, I am. That's that great I am. That's the, this right here is the origin of the name Yahweh, that sacred name to the Jews. Before Abraham was, as in ever existed, I am. Again, I am, the eternal I am. That speaks of his eternality. No beginning, no end. I am. Okay? That's just tremendous thought. <clears throat> and think about it too. When times are tough and things go weird and the world is upside down, I am is our God. Okay. Now, here's one. The angel of the Lord appears to Balaam and his donkey. That's another one. I'm not going to, that's a story that probably should be dealt with in itself. It's, it's kind of funny in a way. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, the moral of this story is before you even read it, you know, be careful. God will make a donkey out of you. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, when you get through the end of the story, Balaam and the donkey. If you finally say, you know, which one of these two is the brighter bulb? I'm going with the donkey. <laughs> but, but, you know, but maybe we don't need to read it now. But anyway, <laughs> Numbers 22. And again, you say, who's this Balaam cat? Well, he's basically a, a, a prophet for hire, just like we have a lot of false teachers and 
preachers for hire in our day and age. They've, they've always been with us. They, they'll always be with us. Um, and they should increase as the, uh, as the years and months increase, as we get closer and closer and closer to the end, you know. Jesus said there's going to be false Christs show up all over the place. But, um, yeah, any, any, well, anyway, I'm just going to give you the gist of it because there's more critical passages ahead of us. But what's going on here, he was, God said, don't go to talk to these people. And they, but Balaam really wanted to go talk to these people. He says, well, go, but tell them what I'm going to want to tell you. And he didn't really want to go. And so then he went and said, well, I'm going to, but evidently Balaam still had it in his head that I'm going to, because he's going to make some money out of this deal. So he wanted to give, if you give a good prophecy, there's money in it, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, what Paul was warning Timothy about, the people having itching ears, you know. Well, he's an ear scratcher. That's old Balaam. He's an ear scratcher from way back, <laughs> okay? And so you'll scratch. You got an itch? I'll scratch it. I'll take care of you. So, and he went, and then the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared on the road with a sword. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Balaam didn't. So Balaam started beating on the donkey, the donkey moved, and then, and then finally the donkey, you know, the Lord obviously em empowered the donkey to do this. The, the, uh, the donkey looks up and says, hey, what are you hitting me for? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a loose translation, but what are you hitting me for? He said, because you won't move. I says, hey, I've been your donkey for years. What are, you, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? I've been a faithful little donkey. We don't Leave me alone. Give me a break. It'll ad lib there. But... Uh, and then basically, then finally, the, the Lord opens his eyes to see the angel of the Lord, and, and <clears throat> Balaam swallows real hard and says, well, you know, and he makes his usual excuses. And again, the donkey comes out the better picture, the better one, the better for this one. Uh, was this when he was paid to go curse Jerusalem, the Jews, or was that another story? Well, yeah, he's supposed to go to Balak, uh, it was a non-Jew and, and, and give him a good report. Oh yeah, God, you're going to do well, you're going to do well, which in effect would be negative to the Jewish folks. Again, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, I mean, we'd have to do the entire story to really get the meaning of it, which we don't have time here, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, anyway, he was, he, as a supposed prophet, he, was, he didn't really want to give the message God wanted him to give. He had his own message in mind because that would uh, that pays a lot better. So anyway, the captain of the Lord's host. This is another term. Uh, I believe this again is our Lord. Um, Joshua 5. Verses 13 through 15. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and be and behold a man was standing opposite him with, a, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, No, rather I indeed have come now as captain of the hosts, host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down. And he said to him, and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Okay, right now. So Joshua, by doing that, recognized that this was not just some man, but this was God. And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
Remove your sandals from the place you're standing. Does that ring a bell? It's like Moses back at the burning bush. That same, the, the angel of the Lord back there is, is here under the name of the captain of the Lord's host. See that? Holy ground. Obviously, a theophany, and most, more specifically, a Christophany, I believe. And uh, there you have it. You know. And then there's a, several places in Judges where he appeared. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to um, Gideon, Judges 6. And I'll just, I just pulled a few passages out of that. Um, <clears throat> the Judges 6.11, well, actually, I'm, there's quite a bit there. Judges 6.11, 27. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. I, I don't want to mess up and say Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Get, get accused of blasphemy. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Came to the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, um, <clears throat> Abizarite, and his son. Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in, in order to save it for the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the, if, <clears throat> if the Lord... Uh, is with us, why then has this happened to us? And again, they were having problems. They were being under attack. Things weren't going well. And verse, let's move down to verse 14. It says, and the Lord looked at him and said, <clears throat> go, as your, go, go, you know, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian, of Midian. And <clears throat> I have not, have I not sent you? And he keeps going, keeps going. And then if you follow the story through, the Lord keeps telling them to cut back in the number of troops you're going to take with you. Okay? They were a strong force. He had a strong force that numbered in the thousands. And he said, oh, knock it back. I said, I'll knock it back to this number. He goes, knocks it back, knocks it back, knocks it back. So finally, he gets back to the point where there's 300 left to, uh, to go after an army of thousands. Because the point of this was the fact, the, the, the point being made here was, God wanted to make it perfectly clear to everybody, including Gideon and the Israelites, that God is going to fight this war and God is going to win this war. You're just going to go out there and be the front people. You're going to be there, but I'm going to be doing it for you. And you go through there. That's, in fact, what happened. And um, the Lord handle it. <clears throat> and there you go. So, and another, the Lord appears to another, in Judges 13, the Lord appears to Manoah's wife. And you say, okay, who's this guy? We're going to find out here in a minute. The Lord, a lot of interesting stories in Judges. A lot of practical application can be drawn from these in terms of especially staying and living uh, a life according to the word of God or not. When, you, when, Pete, when they did, good things happened. When they didn't, bad things happened. I, I, the period of Judges, I'd have to look it up. It, basically, from the time of Joshua to the time of Samson. So right around there, 300, 350? I can go with that, yeah. Offhand, I don't remember. Well, verse, chapter 13, chapter 13, 1 through 3. 
It says, now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, that's a familiar opening <laughs> to several passages. Matter of fact, uh, when you get into the Kings, the book of Kings, uh, you'll find out that, uh, especially up in the northern tribe, and uh, King so-and-so has been, uh, took the throne, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it just, and some in, uh, <clears throat> and, the, and the scripture just keeps pointing that out. And then you see the, the, uh, the result of all that. Now the sons of Israel did again did evil, again, I mean, again, and that was the story of judges. They'd have peaks and valleys, spiritually speaking. And when they were doing, when they were living according to the word of God, things went great. When they moved away from God, they failed miserably. They were attacked by enemies. And then God would raise up a judge to come in there and bail them out. And then this this whole cycle just kept repeating, 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 repeating. And so Judges 13, 1 to 3. And there was a certain, verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. That's another very interesting phenomena in Scripture, that God picks all these barren women to have special, specially called children to do something. Okay, then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And then you go through the usual doubting and rigmarole. Move back, move over to chapter 13, or verse 13. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let your woman pay attention to it all I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing and all that I command you. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you that, that we may prepare a kid for you. Again, physical appearance, right? Sit down at the table, have, have dinner with us, right? So it's going on and all this stuff about uh, not eating or drinking and that's all for the child she's going to have. And let me move on. Okay, verse 21. Let's move to verse 21. Now the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah or his wife than Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Wise deduction. See, guys, sometimes we need to listen to our wives. (laughs) You know, we need to to pay attention. That, That was a wise thing to say there. Good observation. Okay, and here's the whole importance of this visitation. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. Again, Samson, one of the judges. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. Okay, so anyway, so there we have Samson who is a judge. And we know there's a quite a story about Samson himself that... Um, not, not hardly. He had uh, a weakness for the ladies, and it got to him eventually. And then we have other accounts as we're moving through here. We won't look there, but in Second Kings uh, chapter 1, you've got the angel of the Lord that appears to Elijah. 
And here's an interesting one. I, I, yeah, let's go ahead and turn that. The angel of the Lord slays 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Now, this is an interesting one in since it's in 2 Kings 19, or actually the whole, the cold account is in 2 Kings 18, 13 through 1937. It's the very same event is recorded in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 36 through 37, 38. A lot of people, unless you've read through Isaiah, there's a little historical interlude right in the center of the book of Isaiah. And it's this account of the Assyrians that, uh, that we're going to attack. And let's look at 2 Kings. Could you give me Ezra reference again? I gave no Ezra. I did not give an Ezra reference. I, if I, did I say Ezra? I thought I said Isaiah. Yeah, it's in the it's in the outline. Yeah. <laughs> scared me there for a minute. Okay. Well, Second Kings nineteen thirty five says, "Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck a hundred and eighty five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians." And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. What, what happened? King Hezekiah, okay, uh, if you go back to the beginning of the uh, account in chapter 18, verse 13, you know, the uh, Assyrians uh, under King Sennacherib invaded the south. They invaded Judah. And basically, kind of, the, when they hold a country siege, you basically surround a, you surround the, Jerusalem. You don't let supplies in or out. You don't let people or supplies in or out. You just kind of hold it under siege, and you're just kind of biding your time, and then when things are right, you finish them off. I mean, that's basically what Nebuchadnezzar did when he finally came and took it over. That's very common practice back then. So <clears throat> this was all happening, and Hezekiah, who was not a perfect king, did a very wise thing. He sought counsel and prayer from the prophet Isaiah. In that period of time, I couldn't think of a better man to go to. <laughs> all right? So he went to Isaiah, and Isaiah prayed and interceded to God on his behalf, and the Lord answered that prayer. And again, a second time it happened to him. You keep reading, Hezekiah took ill and again uh, went to prayer on the whole thing. And Isaiah, again, Isaiah there being <clears throat> helping him out on this. And uh, he, his life was extended. So I think it was like 15 years or something. So, yeah, it's good. When you're in trouble, you want somebody to pray with. Go to somebody that you think has had a good shot at having their prayers answered, all right? If something's really important, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the lesson. So he, he, went to a, he went to a man of God. So good uh, call. We already talked about it, but a theophany of the Father and Holy Spirit is in Matthew. We'll turn there very quickly. We can finish. We don't want to cut into the next guy's time. <laughs> Might get mad. 
we're all familiar with this, the, the, our Lord's baptism. Tremendous, tremendous event, really. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw, he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. Okay? Well, there's a theophany involving the Holy Spirit. He saw. And behold, a voice out of heaven, out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's another manifestation, or if you will, theophany, of the Father. Why do we know that? Because he said, this is my beloved Son. See? So that's a theophany of the Father. So you have, and here's a great passage to take people to that deny the existence of a trinity. You had Jesus coming up out of the water. Baptism coming up out of the water. And you have Jesus, Father speaking, the Spirit descending. All three. All three, right there. The, the, to me, the perfect passage to go to and say, okay, if, if, the, if, if God is in the Trinity, what do we have here? <laughs> What's this all about? Because see, there's, there's people called modalists that say God came in different modes. We talked about this a little bit when we did the Trinity. But they say that, you know, well, the Lord sometimes, God sometimes appears as the Son, Sometimes he functions as the Holy Spirit, and sometimes he functions as the Father. But, you know, never really, not really all three at once. I said, uh, let's go look at the baptism. Now, how do you, what do you deal with that? They just basically, like everybody else that disbelieves a passage of Scripture, explain it away. That's what they'll do. It never really, to anybody that understands Scripture, it never washes but now, another theophany in Acts chapter 2, and this one's the Holy Spirit again. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2 is, is truly an amazing, amazing chapter of the Bible. There is so much going on here. Verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. We're not talking about a cool, soothing breeze. We're talking about a violent, the sound anyway, the noise of a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing to them themselves as they rested on each, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other literally languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So there you have it. The, again, the Holy Spirit making an appearance that looked like a little tongue of fire. You, you, on, that, on that particular day, you couldn't have been in a better spot. <laughs> Number one, all those people were believers, and they were all receiving the Holy Spirit um, for the first time in that manner. And uh, boy, when they... When they kicked that door open and walked out, they turned the world upside down, and it hadn't been the same since. It hadn't been the same since. And then finally, Acts 9. Here's another Christophany. Christophany. And this one's a little bit different than the usual ones that we would call a Christophany, because you don't actually see them, but you hear them, okay? 
Acts 9, 3 through 7 says, here's a, here's a, at, time is, at this particular time, his name was Saul, heading up the Damascus Road. Um, and it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and, and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I, now this, can you get any more clear? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told what you must do. <clears throat> and the men who traveled, the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Again, I mean, obvious Christophany, that voice from heaven said, I am, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Again, think about it. You can think about that statement in these terms also of those that over the centuries and now and in the future, both near and far, that persecute the church. They don't realize it. You persecute the church. You are persecuting Jesus Christ, and he don't like it. <laughs> let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father God, we do thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for its clarity. And we thank you for you, Lord, and, and your majesty. Again, we offer this whole day to you as praise from us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome.